of the New Age Boxing Podcast with me, Andy White. And Terry Chapandama, the best dressed podcaster there is. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm in the same room. <laughs> Better than me, granted. I'll be fucking around for the morning. Uh, Martin Theobald, how we doing? Are you as well dressed as David Hayley? We'll have to <laughs> we'll have to ask John that. <laughs> I'm sure David Hayley had a fake tan last night. Did anyone else think he looked a little bit? I mean, I know he's a dark skinned man, but he looked a little bit like orangey with the. Dark. Yeah, he, he was. He was just back from the Bahamas, wasn't he? Was he okay? Uh, yeah, yeah, he was in because he was in the Fifth Street gym. He bumped into a friend of mine. Okay, right. I just thought he looked a little bit. It was John. Like. Maybe my stream was a bit dodgy. <laughs> okay. Right, I'm not getting to this. Um, Right, we've got absolutely loads to get through. We've got uh, the Canelo Smith fight's been announced. Amateur scene stuff with <clears throat> Terry. We're going to try doing a boxing draft a little later on. Um, an idea that was put forward to us um, by Scott McGee. So we're going to try that out and see what you guys think. But I suppose the most logical place to start is the Joshua card well, i suppose that's not the best way to put it but anyway that's what i'm going to put it joshua card from last night well i suppose we'll start with that one first Briazil was a lot tougher than charles martin <laughs> i suppose that's almost all you can say about that it was dreadful <laughs> <laughs> but it was everything we thought it would be i don't there was no surprise about it other than the fact that he went seven rounds rather than two rounds um but he didn't throw back or what he did was so lethargic, slow, and all the rhetoric you had beforehand from Briazil talking about, oh, I've got the power, I've got this, that. I know they've got to say it to sell the fight, etc., etc., but if anyone actually, like, believed him, then you're crazy. And yeah, Joshua looked good, I suppose. You know, he knows how to finish someone when they're hurt. Um, he struggled to hurt Briazil as he had the other uh, opponents before. But there was there was no surprise about it, other than it went on slightly longer than than perhaps people anticipated. You almost wish Dominic Brazil had taken up boxing a lot earlier. How tough is that man? Um, there's a lot of stuff I saw, which shows that he'd actually prepared pretty well for Joshua. So, anytime he could time the jab, what he was doing was just literally dealing with the jab, sliding back, and that was probably the first time I've seen Joshua fall short with that many punches. So. If you're looking for ways to beat Joshua, if you're Deontay Wilder, you're happy at that because what you're saying is I'm quicker and more powerful than Brazil, but equally as tall. And Joshua seemed to struggle against someone of similar stature to him. So he's not the Superman that he's being portrayed as. If you're Fury, you're happy seeing that. I think if you're David, hey, you're licking your lips. I know John's going to pull me up about that. But I do think those two added to Deontay Wilder are massive threats. I think... Well, he was unlucky because if you watch most of the fight, he managed to deal with the right hand pretty well. And the one time he got tagged with it and got caught flush was you know, he committed the cardinal sin against Joshua. Then. Don't get yourself caught on the ropes and don't get yourself caught square. Got himself caught square. And instead of turning with the shot, he almost turned into the shot and he got he got chinned badly. Um, as brave as they come, was incredibly limited. What do you say about it other than to say that was nearly a banana skin? If Brazil had actually turned up with a degree of power, that fight could have gone completely differently. But, you know, you saw Wilder at the end of the broadcast saying, I'll fight Joshua now. I'll fight Joshua next year. I don't think he can deal with an athletic heavyweight, was what Wilder said. I'm inclined to agree now. One thing I will add is, if you watch Frank Bruno versus Oliver McCall from 19... Was it 94 96? Probably 94 when he won the world championship watch how bruno uses the jab it's like josh has been watching that fight because he was very quick and very busy with the jab which brazil hadn't prepared for and that surprises me but he seems to have a lot of the same punch patterns that frank bruno had except being a bit more of an athletic version but you're watching him you know he's trying the ambitious uppercuts you know there's that left uppercut on the inside now but the problem with that is you know, and Frank Bruno found this out, when you box someone of equal stature with a bit of skill and someone who can step to the side, it's going to be trouble for him. 
Uh, just a quick one. Does that make Joshua the second most successful British heavyweight of all time now that he's defended his belt once? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it does, doesn't it? I think it does, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, I, what I wanted to ask uh, the whole was not so much ask, but point out was that when we talk about the Hay and the Joshua thing, Hay looked very confident. I know that between us, we've kind of said that Hay will give him a decent fight, but he looked just every bit as confident as, all right, all right I'm sure there was some bravado in there for the sake of the fight audience or whatever, but he does look confident if he's going to face Joshua. <sighs> look at how Joshua boxes. Everything's off to jab. If he doesn't have the jab, he gets quite wild and he'll start swinging left hooks. Now, if we look at how David Hay likes to defend, David will always defend off a slip first. So he'll always slip the jab. He's still sharp enough, dressing as well, John. He's still sharp enough in terms of reflexes to to slip the jab. But he's also got that gift of being able to dip under whatever shot comes next and then slide out, which makes it hard for Joshua. It means that Joshua can't plant his feet and throw the three-shot combinations he did on Brazil. So David knows he can make Joshua follow him everywhere, but David also knows he has the power and the timing to hurt him, and his jab is quicker than Joshua's. So if you were to line them up and go, you know, attribute for attribute, David beats Joshua on almost everything except for height and weight. Have you got anything else to add on the Joshua thing? No, not really. I mean, um, where, does he, where does he go next? Maybe I don't. Yeah, the where does he go next? But I put something on Twitter last night that uh, I think a lot of people agree with is that although Hay hasn't learn or hasn't earned his way back to a world title shot as yet uh, i think that's inarguable although he's in the rankings so he's there or thereabouts anyway but he hasn't earned it but i would and i'm sure many other people would like to see like let's have that fight rather than another hand-picked american and i know joshua's going to take some time off now and he's got the parker defense due early 2017 uh, i think that's probably the next time that we'll see him in the ring will be joshua parker uh, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, but you know, if it is going to be another hand-picked American, I hope people don't buy it and don't encourage this shit because it's boring. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see Hay get challenged in his next fight, and I'd also like to see Joshua being challenged in his next fight. And so it seems, for me at least, a logical fight. I'd... Terry, no. If I'm handling Joshua, the last person I want to give him is David. I'm not Hay. saying. I'm not saying he. Yeah. If I'm his handler, I'm just saying from a perspective as a fan, and I'm so bored of watching mismatches. Just do it. <laughs> what uh, I'd like is three more no, pathetic fights between the two of them, no, uh, constantly telling each other how much no, they beat each other. Up. So, so, so I think Josh has had a pretty hard three years, and this is the one time I'm prepared to give him a fight and say, "Do you know what? You pick who you want to fight." Because I know we're going to say he hasn't really fought anyone, but this is a young man who's 17 fights in. He's getting flogged by Matchroom because that's their revenue. That's their revenue, really. He's getting flogged by sponsors. He's here, there, everywhere. The guy's drained. Um, he's not going to get himself up spiritually for a meaningful fight. Give him someone like David Price, because while David hasn't got the chin, what he has is he has a one punch ability, and we know he has serious power because that's still what we haven't seen. We haven't seen what Joshua does in a big right hand lands flush, and Price has to be able to land at least one of those. It's an e it's an easy enough fight. Sorry, I start again. It's an easy enough fight to make. David Price is the right sort of size and stature. He's got a booming right hand. If Dave Caldwell can get him jabbing with any degree of purpose, then it's a fight you'd want to see. Because if you if he is going to fight Parker, and I'd imagine that would be probably March, April, twenty seventeen, let him have a let let him have a rest now. Because twenty seventeen, you expect him to fight at least one of Wilder, Hay, or Fury. I mean, if it's not going to be Parker in, as you say, kind of February, March time. Uh, you know, if they're looking at somebody before that and it's going to be a soft touch, I would rather he just didn't. Like, I would rather not see him again in the ring until 2017 if they're not going to pick a challenging fight. Because uh, it's a bit of the absence makes a heart grow stronger kind of thing. Like maybe there's been a bit of saturation of Joshua because it wasn't that long since he actually won the title against Charles yeah. Martin. Don't forget that. Uh, and there's only so much that you can take of it. Like maybe just give him, as you say, he is knackered. He's... He's been flogged by Matchroom and his sponsors and everybody else around him, I'm sure. Just give him the time off and let him come back for Parker. Like I don't want a soft touch. I don't, I don't think Parker will take it. Why, why don't you think that? Um, so, one thing, if, I, if I'm handling Joseph Parker and I, I look at his last performance and I say, there's nothing in your last performance that says you can deal with what Joshua brings to the table. 
I'd sooner take I'd take the step aside money and I'll say, look, we'll fight at the end of 2017. Gives him a chance to sort himself out. Um, I think Matt Hamilton knows what I mean. <laughs> It'll just give him a chance to sort himself out, get himself physically ready to fight and maybe tactically ex- watch other people explo- expose flaws in Joshua that he can exploit. But right now, Parker's not ready. It'll be a waste of being number one contender to take the fight immediately. What Terry means is get juiced off his tits, by the way. Just clarify. I can't comment. <laughs> okay, another fight that happened that night was mm, the Eubank fight, if you can call it a fight. I mean, uh, generally there's supposed to be two people involved, isn't there? Uh, Tom Duran, you know, he got exposed as being the level that he is, which is high English, low British title level. Uh, you know, as they were saying in uh, in the build-up to it, he's an air, what is he, a airplane mechanic, I think, as yeah. a full-time job. Yeah. So fair play to him. He's taken the time off. He's prepared for it. And he didn't really... He was never in it. Never in it at all. And Eubank is a different... I, I'm a huge, self-confessed Eubank fan. I don't think that fight did a lot for him last night. He just dominated it. And, you know, when he was walking, you know, stalking him by the end of it, with his hands down, just walking towards him, it doesn't do anything for me seeing that. Like, I, He's another one I want to see him really now step up. Although, from what I've heard, as much as he's calling out Golovkin, his next scheduled fight is possibly Adam Etches on the undercard of the Kel Brook Vargas fight. Uh, up in Sheffield uh, to defend his British title again, which is another nothing fight. He's going for the three defences, isn't he? He possibly is. Uh, so I don't really want to see that either because he'll dismantle Adam Etches in a very similar fashion to what we saw last night. You know, if you're talking about the Golovkin fight, go and do it. That's what I'm going to say about it. Eubanks at that point where, to be honest, he could have fought Tom Doran and then he could have fought Adam Etches straight after. <laughs> Just give him the belt and go, look, you've got a Lonsdale belt, okay? You're not British level anymore. You yeah. haven't been well British. Done. You've smashed everyone. Yeah. You haven't been British level since you. I mean, you caved in Blackwell's skull, and that's what he did. Um, why not? Why not start going after people? I wouldn't mind seeing him fight someone like an Andy Lee, for example. You know, fight Andy Lee, or if you know, if you can't get the Golovkin fight, but look, just fight Golovkin. Let's keep it simple. Fight Golovkin because we'll find out what you're really about even if you don't win we will know what level you really are at and then you know the other fights will go there'll be no disgrace in losing to Golovkin this early in his career Where, where's what's Golovkin's next fight everyone seems to be calling him out Billy Joe Saunders did it Eubank's doing it um, Canelo kind of flirted with the idea but no one actually wants to do it Where, who's he fighting next so, so Billy Joe won't take it would you um, if, I, if, if I no if I'm Billy Joe Saunders what I'm saying is let Eubank fight him because I'll find out two things. I'll find out, number one, is Eubank's power real? Because if Eubank's power is real, then I stand a chance against Golovkin because I took those punches. Number two, if Golovkin hits Eubank and Eubank stays standing, you're a bit like, well, I might have a way in there as well. So Saunders gets to go, well, now we've got a common opponent. I can measure how good Golovkin is. Do you not think Eubank's come on since he fought Billy Joe? He's a bit more patient, but his arsenal will always be what it is. I think he's matured as much as he may not have come on technically or physically. He's matured mentally. um, And, you know, he can pace himself now for a 12-rounder. Oh, I don't suppose there's much else to talk about there. Um, Eubank moves on to another garbage fight. So I suppose what was potentially billed as the best fight of the night was the Groves fight. What do you think? I think it it was almost a carbon copy of... Quig Frampton, to an extent, it was Martin Murray forgetting that he was in a fight for the first five rounds, uh, and then by the time he started to fight back, he was, you know, getting pummeled a bit by Groves. Fair play to him because he came back, and that twelfth round was something, uh, something special. But he just wasn't in it enough, and like whether that's he's not big enough for super middleweight is a possibility. It makes me laugh. Like Jim Watt was saying, oh, you know, maybe he's not big enough for super middleweight. Maybe he's like, he does need to drop back down to middleweight. That's the fucking prick who was going on for years and years and years. And like when he lost various fights, and then he steps up to super middleweight, and he's the one saying, oh, for years I've said that Martin Murray needs to be at super middleweight. And now that he's losing, <laughs> because all he's done is beaten up some Polish taxi drivers, like prior to this at super middleweight. And now that he's lost one, he starts questioning whether super middleweight's the right weight division for him and whether he should step down again. So there's just no consistency whatsoever. But Groves handled him. Last night, right, what I thought, just going back to the Joshua thing, Glenn McCrory, they said they cut around to him and he said, all of us thought that it might be a three-round knockout. The press were saying the first three rounds. But Glenn McCrory, you said the seventh, didn't you? I did, like. 
And, and I don't remember him. Actually, I didn't remember actually hearing him say the seventh before the fight. And there was no evidence thrown up about it. Did either of you two pick up on that? No, I didn't pick up on it, but I, I don't listen to a lot of what Glenn McCrory <laughs> or the Sky team say anyway. So I could be, I could stand corrected on Twitter or whatever, but it just seemed to me like it was like, oh, quick, well, you say you said the seventh round. Oh, you know, don't bother me, like. Um, anyway, so it's <laughs> just, just a bit strange. Where does Groves go from here then? Uh, they probably move him back to the, the the Gale fight. I guess it's it's a fairly limited market at super middleweight. So what can he do? He can go and fight Badu Jack. He can go and fight James De Gale. Um, he can fight Chudnov. Chudnov would be a good fight actually. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Or there's the um the other there's Felix Sturm's old title. Yeah, no, that was Chudnov. There's the other one, the WBA title holder. I can never remember Mexican fella, but I can't remember what his name is. So there's a few options for him. I, I don't really want to see Badu Jack. So I'd like Fed or Tudinov, I suppose. What do you reckon, Terry? Oh, let's go back to the beginning. Number one, I don't like Martin Murray. I'll be absolutely clear around that. The guys in them, just the guy just takes all the fun out of boxing. When, when, you, when you turn up to a professional boxing fight at that level, you're getting paid that much money, and you walk around with that shitty high guard and just go, do you know what? I'm just going to be here sucking the life out of this fight waiting for you to tire yourself because I heard you got stamina issues. Therefore, I'm only going to come on in the 6th, 7th and 8th round. It's it's the equivalent of parking the bus. So I was glad that Groves was patient and really took him apart because, you know, it shows how limited British coaching is. I was watching this fight going, this guy's an absolute joke. Why the hell is he still on a pay-per-view card? He's an absolute joke. You know, I can't stand the guy. That's that's my opinion on Martin Murray. Yes, he's brave, but you know I, I could be that brave if I had EPO running through my veins. You know I'm going to be absolutely honest. I I didn't like that fight. I felt I felt for Groves because Groves showed up to have you know I mean to have a boxing fight, boxing bout, whatever you want to call it. He showed up. Um, George looked good. He looked back to the Groves we used to see pre froch and the Groves we kind of saw in a lot of the first Froch fight. He didn't look scared to go in there and actually have a tear-up. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, Shane's kind of bringing stuff in. I think the key thing Shane's teaching him is, look, don't get greedy. Once you've done your work, get out there. Look at the number of times he was able to just slip and slide out of position, and he made Murray look amateurish. You know, And, and it reflects this whole thing. I think it's... It's a war of the worlds in British boxing. There's the old school versus the new school. So in the old school, you have these guys like Oliver Harrison who are really basic coaches and they go, right, fitness, fitness, keep running up those northern hills. They'll all get tired before you do. That's 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 the Oliver Harrison, the Joe Gallagher method. There's no real insight to it. If you took away YouTube, these guys wouldn't be able to build fighters. They'd, they'd lose. And then you have guys like Shane McGuigan who are a bit more progressive. Um... You know, there are a lot more guys in the amateur scene. And what they're saying is, it's about skills. Skills, technique, and timing. That's all it's about. Let's start giving our fighters the right ideas. And you're seeing that with Groves. You know, you're not having the Adam Booth throw 17 jabs in the next round. It's just, listen, you know what we discussed in training? Just execute. And that was good to see. As for where Groves goes next, I don't think he needs a rematch with Badu Jack for no other reason than Eddie Hearn will start nagging about Callum Smith. And I'm like, you know what? Leave Callum Smith to the walls. Let him earn his own legacy. I'd go for the WBA belt. I don't think Gilberto Ramirez was all that. Um, he could go for that belt. I think he took it off Arthur Abraham, didn't he? He did. So you That's wanted... the name I was trying to remember, by yeah. the way, Ramirez. So, you know, Sauland want their belt back, clearly. Um, so I think he's got those options. Does he need to fight DeGale? Not yet. Well, that Whenever that fight happens, it happens. There's no rush. They're in the prime of their careers. It could happen at the end of next year. But there's no clear water to build that fight up, if that makes sense. Because you've got Brook Vargas, you've got Joshua theoretically against Parker. So when's the next window to have a significant stadium type fight? Yeah, and also I don't think Hearn necessarily is that invested in it, I suspect, because DeGale's got the Al Heyman link up. Uh, George Groves is a Sauerland fighter. So actually, neither of them are 100% Hearn fighters anyway. He may well just say, you know, there's no interest. Or not no interest, but it's not necessarily one that's going to be top of his pecking order, I suspect. Yeah, he's no reason to invest. Right, let's move on. Um, so we had some interesting heavyweight news this week. A combination of things, really, but we'll start off with the Fury fight getting delayed uh, because he's injured his ankle, turned his ankle in training whilst he was running or something. Yeah, so he's uh, he's posted up a photo on Instagram. His ankle looks very badly swollen and bruised. Um, the first thing my wife said when I showed it to her was that he's got makeup on that 
bruising. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I mean, she's quite the expert on these things, and she. Uh, hold on, hold on. I want to know how does she how does she know that it's makeup? Well, the photo is there's quite a focus on his ankle that's quite badly bruised in the photo. It looks swollen, fair enough, and it looks bruised. But I say she was just cynical. It was the moment I showed it to her as well. It wasn't like there was any delay. She just said, that's got makeup on it. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I'm not... <laughs> In fairness, the, what she does, she must see quite a lot of sprained ankles, I suspect. What she does. Yeah, she's an Irish dancing teacher for reference. So, uh, she knows about sprained ankles and things. And she is a woman, so she knows about makeup. Um, <laughs> and yeah, she was quite convinced that that wasn't legit. So, the fight has been put off back to, is it October? Um... And then in the meantime, last night, this story breaks in the Daily Mirror that he's been done for high levels of nandrolone in this system. So, I mean, whoa, Terry, you Whoa, 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 Traces. Okay, okay. But, I mean, traces where they say it's out of sync with what they'd expect to find. Yeah, we wouldn't want to slander anyone on this podcast, would we, Terry? Yeah, wait a minute. Didn't you just say someone had fucking EPO running through their veins a bit? <laughs> yeah, so, so I think I think with the Fury one, what happened, and I'm just I'm working backwards. He submitted a sample. Um, I don't know if UK anti doping have this, but it'll be a red, amber, green system. So if you're under the limit, you're green. If you're significantly over the limit, I don't know what the threshold will be. You're a red. This might be the amber where it's like, we need to refer this to experts to say, what's this all about? So, it's a strange one. There's, there's you, two bits to it though, isn't there? Because it's Huey and Tyson. It's not just Tyson. Yes. So, let's take a step to the side here and say, there's a heavyweight boxer. Let's call him Alex James. We have a heavyweight boxer. <laughs> what, AJ? Alex James? <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no link, no link. We'll go with Alex, right? <laughs> We have a heavyweight boxer, and he, AJ. he knows he has to box in July. He he was <laughs> on the twenty fifth, somewhere in London. He 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 has he will sit down with people in his team. That's why boxers have teams, and they will say, "Hedion, these are the things we need." And so I think, sorry to give tips out there to any young boxers listening, but when you take banned substances there are two things you need to be aware of number one is your active life and number two is your half-life your active life is basically how long the thing does what it's supposed to do for so let's say you take nandrolone and we say the active life of nandrolone is a week that means every week you got to top up your nandrolone to get the benefits which is good if you want to get big and you want to recover quickly from training the problem with nandrolone is it has a two-week half-life so you need two graphs. You need to know when you're going to be back under the limit. We'll say, let's say in any given week, you take a thousand milligrams of nandrolone and it's effective anything above 500 milligrams. So if your half-life is two weeks, you can top up every two weeks because that's when it works. But the problem is it will stay in your system until you're under the threshold. But am I right in thinking that it also is traceable for 18 months? Not necessarily so because... What you'd want to be able to do, so you, you'd have the graph and the graph would tell you how much you have in your system because you can work it out pretty precisely. And then it would say, listen, by June the 25th, you need to stop taking it. And at that point, you wouldn't let it just sit around naturally. You'd need to flush it out or dilute it even more. So I know Matt Hamilton's in there giving his pseudo-scientific expert view, <laughs> but it's, it, these things are very precise. So if Tyson Fury's been caught, someone screwed up on the spreadsheet. Either someone screwed up on the spreadsheet or whatever it is that was being passed around was either contaminated. If, if, it, if it is legit, it was contaminated or it was potent. We don't know. To clarify this, right? Because I, been a I, screw up. I don't know the answer. Does the body, and like, excuse my ignorance, it's totally ignorant. I'm hoping there are others out there that will have the same ignorant question in their head. Does the body produce anything that would give itself nandrolone? Like, could there be any physical reason why your levels of nandrolone are higher than uh, what's acceptable? So, you have nandrolone naturally in your body. It's it's one of the substances you have in various forms. I'll get pulled up for that because I might be wrong. So, when you get tested, there's a residual amount that is expected in your system. Well, what, I'd, what I'd immediately sort of say is that when they do a drug test, they don't 
They don't test for the drug. They test for the things that they can test that relate to the drug. So if you're, say, diabetic, that can affect a drug test. It can give a false reading because the diabetes or, or the, th- the, the symptoms that arise from the diabetes can therefore make the test that they do to, say, look for something, I don't know, could be heroin, could be anything, that will also make the paper turn blue or whatever. So it can't. It, it, there might be traces in Android, I don't know, but all, all I know is that it doesn't necessarily have to be the nandrin you've got in your system. It could be something else you've taken, like a fat burner that has something that then does something that then makes the negative so, so exactly. positive reading. Um, remember what these are. These are all ratios, essentially. So it's, it's, it's normally a unit of measurement per unit of blood. So it's a ratio. If you have less blood, the number's higher. If you have more blood, the number's lower. So we'd need to see what the percentage tolerance was. So how much was he over the limit? If it's 1%, because let's say, let's go back to, what's his name? The guy that was going to fight Wilder, Povetkin. The amount of meldonium he had in him was tiny, which is why he's been allowed to resume his career. The problem he had was he kept lying. That, that's kind of why he hung himself. But the amount he had was minuscule. You know, they did it for, they, he got pulled for having it present without necessarily it being suspicious if that makes sense yeah so i'll be interested to see where this goes because as i say it is tyson and huey which arises suspicion straight away the fact that there's two of them in the same training camp same trainer that doesn't look great and i'm a huge fury fan so like i'm gonna be the last one to like (laughs) i'm not gonna go around pointing any fingers at them i'm hoping that they're innocent um, so just to check, you're not gonna make a Facebook video going Ha 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 I fucking told you that shitting cunt. Are you on about Matt Hamilton by any chance? Uh, yes. He cracks me up. Nice it's, guy cracks me up. Yeah, but, nice guy, know. absolutely mad. If, if I said every heavyweight was using, I'd be right if any got popped. <laughs> I, I like his logic. If I just throw in enough mud. I can never be wrong. For anyone that doesn't know of Matt Hamilton, go and look him up on uh, Facebook. Adam is a friend of mine. He does daily drug videos on uh, the, the sport and drug intake. And they're, they're quite interesting, to be fair. For somebody like me who has no concept, you have to oh, yeah, obviously... You, you had fun on there, didn't you? You obviously have to filter out, you know, make very sweeping statements. Well, anyway, back to the back to the Fury issue. Uh, I, I actually put up... Because it hasn't really blown up as a story today that much. Like... It hasn't been that large. And maybe that's... Well, I don't know the reason, but I put I it on... I put it on Twitter earlier as a poll, um, asking my followers why... Well, the question was, the Fury Nandalone story doesn't seem to have blown up. Why is that? So I had 50 votes by the time we recorded this today. 28% say need more evidence. 58% say don't believe it's true. 10% say drug stories are so regular. And 4% say other. So I'm going to ask you a question. I'm in a fictional universe. And in this fictional universe there is a large promotional boxing company and they have an exclusive TV deal and they have an, they have their anointed king who should dominate the heavyweight division because that's... Is this Alex again? Alex... <laughs> no, this is no one actually. Alex Jambo. So, so let's say they're important to the whole boxing ecosystem because everyone thrives and eats off of this. Would they not have friendly ears in the British Boxing Board of Control? friendly eyes and ears who would whenever there's a potential threat to their king might say we know someone who took jacked 3d yeah we know he took it before the band but there's still traces we can move him out the way well see this was my initial thought which was if if it is as we've kind of touched on in the past a common occurrence in boxing for this to come through to me it sounds like well, it could be at least him getting stitched up by someone. Everyone does it, but this guy's getting stitched up. Similar to what used to happen in cycling. You'd get, if one guy didn't follow Lance Armstrong's lead, suddenly he'd test positive. You know, you're thinking, well, hold on a minute. Everyone yes. at the time so, was using, but it was the power inside the sport. And I mean, I realise it's a big conspiracy point, but it did occur to me. So, so here's, here's the reason why I'm inclined to believe Fury's innocent. Do you remember at the end of the Klitschko fight? Well, when he wouldn't touch, when he wouldn't any, touch water. any water. Yeah. The way he was paranoid, and that wasn't fake, the way he was paranoid about being pinged for anything tells me that's not him. Unless he was double bluffing. I mean, I don't think he's that bright. I don't think he's that bright. I think his team are. 
uh, don't get me wrong. I say I'm a huge Fury fan, and I'm the last person who want to point fingers. But I am suspicious of it based on the fact that Huey and Tyson. And yeah, maybe it's a situation where yes, they're taking something, and that's to boost it up to the legal level, and they've gone slightly over and fucked up what they were meant to be doing. So I don't know, but so it could be anything. It could be it could be contaminated. I mean, you you could have a a pre workout that's been made in the Czech Republic, and you know, in the same lab they're making Andrelone. Cross contamination does happen. It's not a frequent thing, but that could happen. It could explain some of it. Was this a scheduled drug test, or was it out of the blue? I don't know. There's very well, little detail about it at well, the moment. Th- the truth is, if you have, as I said earlier, if you have friendly eyes and ears in a British Boxing Board of Control, every drug test is scheduled. Yeah. I mean, can I just... I don't want to labour on this too long now, really, I guess. Oh, sorry, I'm taking over your job here, Andy. <laughs> um, My thoughts exactly, though. Uh, there was a statement by Team Fury that was put out today on Twitter that said, We are baffled by today's story in the Sunday Mirror. Tyson Fury absolutely denies any allegation of doping. He looks forward to recovering from his injury and defending his titles against Vladimir Klitschko in October. There is no mention in that of Huey Fury. There you go. Um, I, I thought it was important to sort of, damn it to what you just said then, like to sort of spend some time talking about it. Because I think people are, are certainly going to be a bit concerned and like you kind of alluded to earlier, a bit confused about the whole thing. But I think we've shed as much light as we can on it. Um, the delay is is to the fight before obviously this was announced is frustrating because um i think if anything i certainly would rather from my point of view anyway i'd rather fury's just done with klitschko and he can move on and do something else of his career i don't just... think the fight will happen i i've i've i think i've said it on this podcast before i don't think that fight will ever happen because if you're vladimir klitschko you're like this is the fourth time i have to go to the world to fight this guy because remember there was a postponement last year as well so this will be the fourth time. You're well, that was his go. fault, though, wasn't it? Well, but but you're a 40-year-old man, and you're like, I'm in prime fighting shape, and you're seeing what's happening with Joshua. And the more you have to dither around with Fury, the more you're like, I'm missing out on what's happening with Joshua. And I, I, I have a feeling you're going to see Wilder Fury, Joshua Klitschko, and the two winners will face off. And then we'll have. <laughs> and then we were back to Fury Klitschko potentially. Perhaps, but but it, expect that to happen because Eddie Hearn can see that filling Wembley. I think you're living in dream world, mate. I'm going to be honest. I don't see that happening, and like not within the next twelve to eighteen months. I, I I'd be shocked. I'd be absolutely shocked. Right, we are bang over schedule so far. So a quick sort of summation of what happened we'll Thurman Porter we'll yeah yeah right wrap up Thurman Porter for me go no after you Terry I haven't even seen it because I've uh, <laughs> it's, anything that happens overnight in the America in the American scene I have children right so I don't stay up overnight to watch this stuff and then on a Sunday I have children that want to watch Peppa Pig not Thurman Porter so uh, <laughs> I'll leave it to such you. inconsiderate children yeah it'll be my midweek watching so over to you Terry so Thurman Porter we've waited three months it was meant to be in the spring got postponed um two pretty good 147 fighters sense was always that Thurman was a level above um Kenny Porter versus Dan Birmingham coaches who were friends Porter and Thurman quite cordial with each other there was a bit of trash talking, you know, regarding the sparring footage, but neither here nor there. The fight itself, fantastic. Um, you know, Thurman with his heavy hands was able to counter, so, you know, typical Porter tactics, coming in, rolling in, looking to get the body work off before coming up to the head. Um, Thurman's left hook on the counter was fantastic. Um, he boxed well going backwards, looked really, really good. There were some hellish exchanges in there. Um, how how no one hit the canvas is beyond me. So, fight the year candidate, definitely considering you know the level of you know fighter that they are and how much they threw into that. Scorecards one fifteen one thirteen was the general view. Uh, most people had it by two rounds. Paulie Malinagi had it seven five in favor of Thurman. You now wonder where both guys go. You imagine. Thurman has three options, if you ask me. He has Brooke, um, he has Danny Garcia, or if he wants to jump across, someone like Amani Pacquiao slash Amir Khan. They're his main options. I'd expect Porter to fight Amir Khan because you know he needs he needs a big name victory. 
it's a winnable fight. Khan needs that scary fighter again to build up his reputation. But overall, damn good fight. Um, if you can find that anywhere, try and get it. Even the highlights are fantastic. So if you can get those, I mean, fight worth watching. I'm not going to go into it in any length because we're uh, we're running late a bit. But uh, I think the odd person out in that division is going to end up being Kel Brook. Like, yes, he's got the Vargas fight. Um, but I think he's going to... Vargas isn't the big, big name that he wants. I think he's going to be the one that ends up being the odd name out in it. And I think Garcia and Thurman will probably end up um, meeting at some point in the near future. But fire any questions at me on Twitter if, uh, <laughs> if you want to disagree. Right, that's good. Thank you very much. Um, let's swiftly move on then to the Canelo fight that's been announced between Canelo and Liam Smith. What do y'all think of that, Terry? I've seen some supposed boxing experts on Twitter saying this is a good fight because Liam Smith is underrated. And I said, uh, you know, beating Eric Ochieng doesn't define a career. If I'm being honest with you, Canelo sees September the 17th as his day. He doesn't really care who he fights because he's carrying the pay-per-view. Why would you fight bigger Charlo and take that risk? You know, that will take years off his career. Why would you fight Demetrius Andrade? That might take years off your career too. There's no point in rematching Lara or Trout because they were horrible fights to watch. So now you're looking for someone who has a fan base and, you know, Liam Smith will bring a large UK fan base with him. Um, so you have a UK fan base. He's a reasonable name. There's a TV deal in the UK that they can, you know, license. There's a little bit of revenue, but Canelo's pretty much carrying it. It's a low-risk, high-reward fight for Canelo. Liam Smith's in it for the payday. Good luck to him. Um, yeah, I mean, I think fair play to Liam Smith, and I think fair play to Frank Warren, because I don't often give Frank Warren any credit at all. Um, Liam Smith's been so under the radar as a, you know, shit world champion, let's be honest, like, it's not been worth having. But this suddenly makes him relevant within the division, like, just by association to Canelo. So if he goes out there and gets sparked out in, like, three rounds, then fair enough, he does the same as what Amir Khan does. Like, having his name now linked to Canelo... Is so it makes him so much more of a relevant figure within the light middleweight division than when he's beaten Predrag Radajevic and Liam uh Jimmy Kelly. Like just by getting this fight, I think it, it does wonders for him. Um But did he get the fight or were they just press ganged into it? Where Golden Boy were just like, Do you know what? This lot. Listen, we'll give you this much money to fight Canelo. And you know Warren's taking a kick and he was like, yes, please. No, absolutely. Like, I'm not saying that they've done any great deal to get that fight. Um, and what's ironic is that Frank Warren always goes on about the importance of home advantage for his fighters in a world title fight. And yet he's happy. And they, I know the circumstances are very different, like getting offered it out in Vegas against Canelo in September. Like That, that probably brings in a bit of money. Um, but yeah, I think if, at least for Liam Smith, it will make his name slightly better known in the division, even if it's as the man that gets pummeled. Personally, I don't think he'll get pummeled. I think he's a tough bloke. Um, we'll, we'll talk about it in September, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, the bigger issue here is that Canelo isn't fighting Golovkin. Like That's what is actually the, the relevant situation. And they've announced they're in talks, Golden Boy and Tom Loeffler, to put the fight on... <laughs> Uh, in the fall, whatever, like basically uh, autumn of 2017. Like, what's the fucking point? Don't tell us. Don't tell us. <laughs> I don't care. Like, if you're going to do that, if you're going to say it's over a year away, don't tell us, you prick. <laughs> Honestly. But it's like I said before about the Golovkin fight. Kennedy Golovkin for ages said, look, you're a middleweight title holder. We need to fight a middleweight. And there was logic in that. So Canelo said, have the belt. Now we fight at the weight that I want because I'm the A-side in this. So let's see if Golovkin will say, I'll come down and wait. No, they've already said, what they've said is that it will be at £160 in autumn of next year. That's what uh, Golden Boy have said that they're opening the negotiations on. So so you're telling me that they need to get Canelo to a certain size and the spreadsheet says <laughs> you can only fight in September. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, what's really stupid is, of course, that they're talking about... Um, building him up to 160 pounds by september next year and then his first fight is going to be at 154 pounds which is lighter than what he fought amir khan at so you'll build the reason you can't take a 160 pound fight now is because you need to build up to it 
and then you're going to go down one pound for your next fight. Like it's such bollocks, and it drives me mad. <laughs> Why? Um, in fact, I'm not even bother asking that question. It's not even. I'd rather. Have you got anything more to say about? No. Um, I'm not overly excited by that fight, but it looks like September the 17th will be an okay night for boxing because I think Glovaki, the Polish guy, is fighting Usyk the Ukrainian at cruiserweight. So that's going to happen in Poland. That will be a barnstormer because that's just two heavy-handed guys going at it. Chad Dawson's back. Chad. Bad, Bad Chad. Chad Dawson. Um, Don't know why, but Chad, <laughs> <laughs> but Chad Dawson's back. Um, I was going to tell you who he was fighting. The guy at 175. Actually, it doesn't even matter. No, I don't I'm give a fuck excited. about Chad Dawson. I'm not no. that excited by it, but Chad Dawson's back. Um... Hasn't been the same since he got starched by Ward, so I don't know. And Stevenson. Just needs the money, I guess. Right. Take a drink and refresh yourself, Terry, because you are about to give our listeners the rundown on the amateur scene. What can you tell us? Um So everyone knows last weekend I was at the Harringay Box Cup. Um biggest boxing tournament in Europe, as they like to tell you. You know, Friday night, one hundred and five bouts. So we ran from six till about midnight. My views on this year, not as strong as last year. So last year you had, you had, you know, guys like Jordan Reynolds who have gone on to do great things, you know. So you had guys who were representing GB, you know, you had the, the Irish contingent as well. Your Kelly Harrington's, your Dervla Duffy's who went on to box at the World Championships. It was a really stacked card. You had Simon Niasata, Norwegian super heavyweight you know, with knockout power, who then went to try and qualify for the Olympics. So it was always going to be a struggle because a lot of talented boxers are trying to get to Rio. So the standard wasn't that good this year. It was more of a, a glimpse into the future, um, which meant that a lot of the established amateur guys won. With any standout performances in the ladies, you know, Alana Murphy, you know, Northern Irish lady boxing out the army, looked fantastic. Um, Bryce Goodridge at 81 kilos looked pretty good. I'm going to start banging the drum for my own, my own guys in a second. So we've got a young super heavyweight, Courtney Bennett, who looked fantastic in beating George Fox. And, you know, people say, who the hell is George Fox? You only need to know George Fox because he's the son of Don Charles. So this is a guy who's been raised in a super heavyweight family. And we were able to basically give the kid a hiding. You know, they'd been ducking us for about two years. So it was good, um, you know, which was interesting because the guy who won the Class A, so the more experienced class, was a guy called Chez from the Army. I think it's Chez Nihel. And I genuinely think Courtney was the better fighter. Courtney probably would have stopped him based on what I saw on Sunday. So I think if you look at the amateur scene, it's going to be a changing of the guard after the Olympics. And there's going to be some very interesting selection decisions required at 91 plus because I don't think Fraser Clark or Joe Joyce will stick around. 91, it looks like Eddie Hearn is very high on Lawrence Oseeki. I can never say his surname. Apologies for that, Lawrence. It looks like Eddie's really high on him and Eddie Hearn's really high on Joshua Boatsy. So I'd expect those guys to be going through less certain about Fowler. I don't know where Fowler will end up. But what that means is there are a lot of slots open and you're seeing these young, talented kids pushing through now. And it's just a question of, you know, who's going to jump into those slots. Look out for a kid called Daniel Dubois at Super Heavyweight. Uh, I have a question. Has there been, do you know of many people worldwide or even Britain? I I'm, I'm just want to open it up. Professional boxers that have decided they're going to fight in the Olympics. Like, I've only heard of Amir Khan so far. Has anyone else well, come He's forward? not going to compete. He's... Oh, he's not. No, no. Oh, okay. So he's not going to do Look, it now. So has so, there been? Is there basically has there been a run since the announcement was made? So according to Aiba, no one has approached Aiba as and as a current professional about doing the Olympics. Um, <laughs> apparently, the U.S. Boxing Federation say people have approached him. They won't name them. The same has been said in Venezuela as well. So rumors are there are talks. I wouldn't expect to see any well-known professional at Rio 2020 might be completely different but for Rio it'll be it'll be as you kind of expect mostly yeah, pretty much all amateurs okay um are we ready to move on to the boxing draft yeah okay. we're gonna have to make this up okay right so like I say Scott McGee asked us to have a look at the idea of a boxing draft we've kind of come up with our own 
and way of doing it. So the idea is this is a fantasy boxing draft. It, we're going to do it between UK fighters, British fighters. Um, the idea is I'm going to toss the coin and then Martin and Terry will take it in turns to build. And we're only going to do three three of these cards, uh, three of the fights, because it, frankly, it doesn't have enough legs in it to make it more. Uh, we're going to go for three fights on each card. The best of British fighting. So what is what is the best pay-per-view, let's say, um, card you could make out of British fighters, in your opinion? Once a box has been chosen, they can't be chosen again. Uh, and so then they'll just have to make do with, with what's left. It seems like a pretty... Um, if with the knowledge these guys have, it seems like a pretty easy. Task. We're allowing one weight division apart, so we could oh, assume yeah. that you could make a catch weight if they're one weight division apart. But I'm hoping that you're going to bring up Joshua and Khan because I've been looking forward to that. One. <laughs> <laughs> I'd look forward to that little gobshite. <laughs> right, I'll toss the coin live on air. Who's calling? Right, Terry, you can call. Tails. His heads. Yes. <laughs> Get him! <laughs> okay, so, right. Your rules are have been stated. I'll just flip over my page. And, and you're going to decide the winner, are you, based on what you would watch? Yeah, how interested I'd be. No, no, no. John decides who the winner is. <laughs> In fact, what would be good is if... What we'll do is you, you can put up a poll on your Twitter and see what other people would... Would you know? Right, like. we'll, we'll, we'll get this nailed down somehow. Well, uh, but, but I will decide at least for the short term. I want John's opinion on in fact, John's right. opinion on everything. I'm picking on the off fight number one: Joshua versus Fury. Have that <laughs> right. So that rules out Joshua and Fury now. So uh, if you want David Hay in this Terry, which I know you will, then you can have fucking Derek Chisora. <laughs> <laughs> Is it my turn next? It's your yeah. turn next. Right. George Groves, James DeGale. Groves versus DeGale. Nice. Right, I I I will know, know at least one fight you're going to pick now. I, I reckon. Do you reckon I'm going to go with Crawler Flanagan? Okay, that wasn't what I was thinking. Up to you now, then. Where Andy's feverishly scribbling away. Yeah, there's the pauses, those pregnant pauses of me <laughs> writing and them two looking and perhaps thinking. Terry, I'm going to go with O'Hara Davis, Connor Ben. Ooh. <laughs> right, final one for me. We could have strung this out. I've got some that I want to put on here that uh, I'm going with. Well, I thought you were going to detail each one. We could do five if you want. Nah, nah, nah. Right. <laughs> Eubank versus Billy Joe Saunders rematch. Uh, Eubank, Billy Joe Saunders. I thought he was going to bring up Eubank before. Yeah. Yeah. So that'd be my fight number three. So I've got Joshua versus Fury, Crawler versus Flanagan, Eubank versus Saunders. And you've got. And so, so far you have Groves versus DeGale, O'Hara Davis versus Conor Ben. Number three. Come on, Terry. Paul Smith versus Martin Murray. Fuck me. Are you trying to lose viewers? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Unless, like, are you talking, is this going to be a gunfight? And, like, one <laughs> of the fuckers guaranteed dead. No, it's a, it's the same way they made Gatty and Ward, where you took guys where you were like, I'm not seeing the upside in either of these two matches. Oh, no way. Like, pay-per-view. Pay-per-view. <laughs> I'm not paying for that. <laughs> But Paul Smith the, and Martin what, Murray. Third fight on a card. Yeah. Dog shit. Mine's going to cost millions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got deep Your, pockets. Yours are going to cost more to uh, to create. I'll give you that. Okay. Well, my initial thought, I have to say, is Martin's card. Because I'd be more interested in seeing Fury and Eubank on the same card. If I mean, I'm not... Uh, Josh was there, but um, I'd, I'd actually pay to watch Joshua get beaten up. But you see, no, no, but it depends on what the test is here. If the test is fights that you'll sit there and go, I'd watch that again. Or if you want superstars fighting I, I do superstars. like Groves to Gale. I do like that idea, but... Um... Paul Smith, Martin Murray. That's so so atrocious. That, that's nip and tuck. Because they've fought before, Grace and you'll, you'll never separate those two. It'll always be one or two rounds between them. Ben O'Hara Davis, if you've seen the sparring footage, you'll know that's one for the ages. Connor Ben's wank. And then if you've got these two guys who have nothing to fight for other than pride. It's Paul Smith, Martin Murray's referring Nothing to fight for other than pride. They normally make the best fights. Right, I'm, I'm going to leave it up to Twitter, actually. You know what? I, I, I want to leave it to I'm John. Not, my inclination... <laughs> all right, it was to John. My inclination would be to go with Martin's, but I'd, I'll, I'll be happy to put it to a, a Twitter vote. And I'll let Martin sort that out, because I'm Twitter illiterate. Twilliterate. Twilliterate, yeah. 
Um, okay, well, that, that didn't last as long as I thought it was going to last. So, <laughs> you're just too efficient, you two. Let's move on to listeners' questions. I'll dive straight in with a Simon from a question from Simon King, at Simon James King on Twitter. Well, it's not really so much of a question as a complete me. If by October, Liam Smith has beat Canelo and Chris Eubank Jr. has beaten Triple G... I will, and he finishes his own uh, sort of question come statement with teabag Paris Hilton. Now Paris Fury, Tyson's wife. Oh, is it? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, I thought you said Paris. Oh, okay. No, no, teabag Paris Fury was his answer, which is a hell of a risky move to yeah. uh, to pull off. Uh, if that has happened, I will. Um, uh, I don't. I'm, it's not going to happen, is it? So I will. Give Andy a hand job live during the podcast recording. Next. What, do I get a say in this? Nope. <laughs> Terry. Resurrect Jimmy Savile and make him a primary school teacher. I'm hand- <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Fucking hell. <laughs> Next. Yeah. Okay, moving swiftly on to an actual question. And actually, it's a question we forgot to ask last week. <laughs> So, so to to make amends for not asking the question last week, I'm now going to ask the question and not be able to say who it's from. <laughs> so oh, we're a real professional. Outfit. Apologies, Mister at Mystery Man. That's, that's not who. I don't know who it is, but I apologise. So you feel free to abuse us on Twitter and ask another question. And I promise we'll put it on. I know I've said it before, but I do mean it this time. You said it this week. You yeah, said it fucking. Long I know. It. I know. <laughs> But anyway, um, I really mean it this time. I swear, Pat. The question is, it's quite a good one, actually. What is the worst robbery you have ever seen in the ring? Worst robbery? Now, we've had about three weeks to think of an answer for this because he asked it a long time ago. For me, the worst one, and it's very, very recent, and it's very, very under the radar, and I can't even remember the opponent's name. But the worst robbery that springs to mind immediately was Nick Webb on the undercard of the David Hay fight. Uh, where he fought Harry Miles I'm sure it's Harry Miles H-A-R-I yeah yeah where he's coming up from uh, cruiserweight to fight Nick Webb everyone thought he'd get sparked out he actually schooled him for three of the four rounds Uh, one of them was contentious at best and he taught Nick Webb a lesson like you can't just load up on big rights all the time gets to the end and he's lost every fucking round (laughs) and it was a disgrace and I just thought, that's so corrupt. Like, Nick Webb is your prospect here. You've given him that. And Harry Miles deserved far better than that. And it's probably not one that many people will... You know, it wasn't televised, I don't think. But, uh, yeah, that was a horrible, horrible decision. And Nick Webb, fucking hang his head in shame out of that. Uh, Pacquiao Marquez 3, the one before he knocked Pacquiao out. Yeah. Shocking. I remember watching that fight and going, finally they're going to give one to Marquez because there's no other choice. And once again, you know, the home side the home side fighter won, you know, clearly motivated Marquez to go, well, we'll find out who the better man is. And, you know, we know what happened in the fourth fight. I suppose on the flip side to that, there's Pacquiao Bradley won, where uh, Bradley got the decision for that and Pacquiao was robbed. He I, said I, it straight. I I was I watched that fight and went I can see why someone would give it for Bradley. And and, and the reason I say that is we can all get into the trap of we will score the whole fight. So in my head, I'm watching the whole fight, but I haven't had to write down a score every round. But I'm, but at the end of it, I'll go, you know what? I've got so-and-so by two or three rounds. But I'm looking at the whole fight, and I'm going, I can't not give it to him. Whereas you can be a judge, and you can be going 10-9, 10-9, 10-10. You get to round seven, and you're like, my scores don't reflect how the fight's gone. So sometimes I do feel for judges, and that was one of those where I'm like, I could see because you could see Pacquiao getting frustrated. So maybe you're like, Meh, he looks like he's losing. Yeah, but, but still, nothing will be the Nick Webb one for me. That was an atrocious, appalling decision. Well, mainly because he was he was not that... He wasn't at his best. I mean, diplomatically, he wasn't at his best. He wank. I, I remember, like, it's like I said at the time, I remember saying, asking Gary Logan, what do you think so far? And, you know, he gave the first two rounds to Harry Miles. Everyone around us gave the first two rounds to Harry Miles. So I was like, at best, Nick Webb can get a draw. So how he seemed to win handily is he beyond won every round, apparently. It was, yeah, atrocious. We have another question from our regular contributor, Sam Khan, at Bless With Work. She asks, where would Foch stand 
versus today's group of fighters? In my opinion, pretty highly, but you two experts? Terry? Old Froch, miles ahead of everyone else. If Froch came back tomorrow, still ahead of everyone else. Um, I'm trying to think at 168, who would beat him? I don't think DeGale would. He hasn't got the engine. I just think he's Groves' nemesis. I don't even think it's a, it's not even a boxing thing. I think Frost just has that thing over him where he'd probably always win. Um, he'd dispatch Callum Smith, uh, deal with Darrell again. In fact, he'll deal with both Darrells again. And then you're looking at Badu Jack. He has nothing that Frost hasn't seen before. I just think he's light years ahead. You know, he, he was at his best. He was light years ahead. Um, and weirdly enough, he's, he's not even a typical McCracken fighter. So if you look at most McCracken fighters, go back to Howard Eastman, quite basic boxers, but Froch seemed to have this unusual style of, I tried to be Prince in the scene, but it didn't quite work. Which then meant he relied on having that solid chin, but could still throw unorthodox punches. Forgive the pen dropping. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, I just think if Froch came back now, he'd still be a legitimate threat. I can't add to that at all, really. It's all completely right. Um, there is no standout individual within the super middleweight division. Frotch is looking a little bit older, though, isn't he? Like he's going grey, and yesterday, like he looks very, very smart. He's, I think, he's quite a nicely dressed man. Dressed as well. I, if we're going to talk to John about this and dress sense, but um, he he dressed very, very well when he's got his suit, shirt, and tie on. He looks very, very good. But then there was one point where he was sat down in the chair last night and he didn't have his suit jacket on, he just had shirt and tie. And now that he's going grey and he had that, he just looked like a supply teacher. <laughs> <laughs> he looked uh, he looked odd. But uh, yeah, I don't see anybody in that division that could handle him. Um, he's got a standout resume. And yeah, I mean, at some point we'll probably do a longer discussion on Frotch because I think we're all fairly big fans of his, but uh, that's not for now. Right, it's time for... Argue the inarguable. That's the closest thing we get to a jingle on this podcast. Okay, Martin went first for the boxing draft, so we're going to go to Terry first for the Argue the Inarguable. Right, Terry, your question. Anthony Joshua needs to fight Charles Martin again next. I saw Charles Martin the other day. He was same gym, you know, looked pretty sharp. Has no recollection of the fight. So in his mind, he's still world champion. So he's quite <laughs> rightly calling out Joshua. You know, the, the the dreads have gone. And he's like, look, I'm streamlined now. That was what was holding him back before. The wind resistance kept screwing him up. I genuinely think he's got the power now to put Joshua on his backside. Fine specimen of a man. A slick, bald head. I mean, the head movement will be there this time. He'll slip and slide. That's good, mate. That's on because I stopped. It's tired of it. Yeah, it's fine. Um, I like that because... Um, it's the, bollocks. There's a, uh, yeah, <laughs> he, it was he, creative. He, <laughs> the shorts obviously didn't do anything for him. There's so many mitigating factors for that. <laughs> it was creative. I like that. Good work. Uh, okay, Martin. <clears throat> your question is, or your statement, Chris Eubank should have at least 10 more fights at British level before stepping up to Worlds. Well, I think to fight Golovkin, which is ultimately the aim, he needs to prepare himself thoroughly and test himself against all different sorts of styles. So, let's start... I mean, we have a top 10 British uh, middleweight ranking. I think the only way to thoroughly make sure he's adapted for the Golovkin style is to fight every one of those top 10 within Britain. So, not just have that... Like, he could get three Lonsdale belts to keep out right as well. <laughs> And so once he's done that, he'll be the greatest ever middleweight in the British division. And he'll be ready for Golovkin. There you go. Summed up in two nice, neat little packages. Well, I guess that's it then. We've reached the end of our extensive uh, list of topics for this week. All that's left to say is, uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Get in touch with us at New Age Boxing UK at the so Seven Wolves Boxing. <laughs> <laughs> And at New Age Podfather. <laughs> Just constantly having to study it and think about it. But yeah, get in touch, ask us questions. It obviously, as you know, it fuels the podcast. Why does anyone ask me questions? Well, they copy you in kind of thing, don't Sometimes. they? You get CC'd on some of them. Some yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> no one no one no one grills me. I think they're scared of the responses. It's Except you for John. Them out. Poor old John can't sleep at night. <laughs> Every week. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, nah, but look, John's invited me up to Dublin, so I'm sure we'll catch up. You know I mean, you know, Temple Bar, we'll have a good time. Why are you playing with your knife when you say that? <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, right. All I have to say is then, thank you for listening and goodbye from me. Take care. Have a good day. I, 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 I,